Hello and welcome to History West Midlands, our regular in-depth examination of various aspects of the Black Country. Today we're on location at the very fringes of the Southwest Black Country as guests of the Ruskin Centre and Glasshouse College in Amblecote. Situated at the heart of the established glass industry, the centre is playing host to the International Festival of Glass and Biennale Glass Exhibition. Held every alternate year, the festival celebrates glass in all its forms and there's no better location to hold it than here in the very epicentre of the Starbridge glass industry. Right, we stepped outside and I'm standing by a, an amazing fountain that's actually made out of recycled television screens, which is a novel use of glass. And with me is Elizabeth Johnson. She's the Assistant Director of Development with the Ruskin Mill Trust, who now administer this site. But this time around, she's also uh, Chair of the Festival Committee. Elizabeth, thanks for your time. I know it's a very busy period for you. Can you describe what's going on around us right now and what role you've actually played in it? Well, this is the first day of the public festival and the people are just starting to come onto the site. We have a whole range of activities, workshops, demonstrations and lectures going on. I can smell some fantastic food You're that's so being canine. cooked. <laughs> so there's a lot of activity going on around us. And after last night's Biennale opening, I think it's a good start to the public festival. Can you give us a flavour of what it's actually required to draw an event of this magnitude together? It is a huge event because it's not just at the Ruskin Glass Centre site. We want to involve people from all over Stourbridge and all over the world. So it really is an international flavour. So we have to start very early on seeing if we can get our masterclass leaders booked and coming over. We've had them come over from America and Canada as well as Europe. And we have to also start to work with the partners, Broadfield House, Red House Cone, to make sure that we are able to offer a really diverse programme. So what do you feel this event means to the people of Starbridge and uh, how they embraced it? Well, I hope that this event is fun, first and foremost, but also... Actually, it is a celebration of glass. Stourbridge has a fantastic heritage of glass and it isn't recognised enough and it isn't celebrated enough, I think. Ever since the old glassworks declined here and Ruskin came and took over the Ruskin Mill Educational Trust, the Glasshouse College has become an integral part of the area. Can you give us an indication why you chose to settle here? Ruskin Mill Trust has a history of uh, moving into urban areas and industrial areas and finding sites that have a heritage but perhaps have become neglected and taking them over and giving them a new lease on life. It's reimagining the potential of the site and it's something that we do with the students that we work with who have learning difficulties and disabilities. We take them in and we find out their story and then we work with them to reimagine what they could be. This was an old glassworks, and it was derelict, and so we wanted to give it a new life and breathe something creative into it. We are working with young people to get that interest in craft and in glassworking started. We're working with local artists by giving them tenant space and support to help make sure that the glass industry stays alive through that. And then with the festival, it really is saying there is something still in Stourbridge that's worth celebrating. And what's the significance specifically of events such as this that we're at today in perhaps the continuation of glassmaking and for the legacy of it in Stourbridge? It makes people aware of what is going on in the glass industry still. I think that the Biennale is an excellent demonstration of the creativity of the emerging glass artists and glassmakers, which is fantastic. And then what's nice about this site, we have the Heritage and the Webb Corbett Heritage Visitor Centre. So 
we've got the old and the new coming together. And I think that for people to be able to see that spectrum of the, the story of Glass, if you like, is really quite exciting. Elizabeth Johnson, Assistant Director of Development with the Ruskin Mill Trust, and on this occasion also Chair of the International Festival of Glass Committee. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, Graham. Well, we've moved into the rear room here at the Webb Corbett Visitor Centre, and I'm standing with Ian Jury, who's been involved in the glass trade all of his working life, and is now Heritage Officer here at the Webb Corbett Visitor Centre. Uh, Ian, what's the role of the Visitor Centre here that you represent, and uh, how are you relating the Starbridge glass story to the people of the area and beyond? The role of the centre is to encourage people to come in and share their experiences with us, it is a tremendous opportunity to sort of record the social history that has taken place with the Glass fraternity. And we get family members coming in regularly, bringing in artefacts, photographs, and it is amazing that we can now sort of archive all this material, recording the past for the future. I was intending to ask you what response you were generating from the public, but I think the answer's all around us by these notice boards that have got signatures on galore from people who worked in yeah, the former yeah. glassworks. And right behind us here, there's glasshouse reflections, yeah. a series of short presentations by people, some of whom are no longer with us, unfortunately. Well, I implemented what I call my graffiti wall, where I've asked members of the glassworking community to come in and sign my boards. It's fantastic now. It's building up, and I've got over... 200 names on there and people just stand there and sort of look at the names and they say I remember him I used to work with him I used to play football with him or I used to work with her from there leads other stories and then they bring other family members into sort of sign the boards and friends. So do you, do you take this as an indication of evidence that the community feels a genuine part of its heritage? Yeah and obviously the next generation as well are very proud of their ancestors that have worked here. There's so much pride in Stowage in the craft. Now, the Portland Vase is one of the most iconic pieces of Roman cameo glass the world's ever seen. And I understand that of the six examples currently extant around the world, four of them have a direct connection with Stowbridge, of which one is yours that you made in 2012. You recreated the Portland Vase. Why did you do that? What were you hoping to achieve? If I'm quite blunt, I would get fed up with people writing Stowbridge glass industry off. We had a perfect opportunity to demonstrate that we still got the skills left in Stowbridge. And the team that I was fortunate to put together was amazing. And it's not only the Portland Vars, we went on to do several other cameo pieces. In the collection, we ended up doing four major pieces, which will be fantastic. After many years working in glass, well, all of you work in life, you're now heavily involved in promoting its heritage. But where do you see the future for Starbridge based on that heritage? And how do you think it will take shape over the forthcoming decades? Well, obviously, the mass production has now ceased. There's nothing we can do about that. But there are new people coming through. And a good example here today with the Biennale, when you see the fine examples of work that's up there. And particularly, there's a lot of interest in young ladies taking up the trade. It's beyond recognition to what we used to do, but it's a fantastic future for young people. We are renowned in this area for having made the glasses for the White Star Line, who owned Titanic many years ago, or not. Yes. Those days have gone. But are you saying the future lies in the hands of individuals? Yes, and perhaps it's the, studio it's the glass contemporary glassmakers, yes. studio glassmakers, yes. where the future is. Ian Jury, lifelong glassman and currently heritage officer at the Web Corbett Visitor Centre, many thanks. Thank you. 
Stourbridge is still home to glass cutters, engravers, retail outlets, specialist suppliers, museums, the listed Red House glass cone, plus it boasts the last remaining factory in the area that's believed to be the only one in the world using a glass cone for its original purpose, making glass. It's also emerging as a major force in the burgeoning studio glass movement in which artists use the medium of glass to express their talent in one-off pieces of extraordinary beauty. And we've come to Broadfield House to see one such artist at work and the searing heat that I'm feeling is down to the fact that I'm standing by a furnace that belongs to Alistair Malcolm, who's resident glassmaker here at Broadfield House Glass Museum and a trustee of the British Glass Foundation. Alistair, thanks for your time. I know you're very busy at the moment. Can you uh, describe the scene around here, what surrounds you in your studio? We have modern day equipment here in the studio, so we've got a Lear Furnace and Gloriol, all for a small scale manufacturer of artworks in a contemporary manner really. There's an area within the museum whereby I guess around about 20 folk can watch the activity and the, the works of art being created as it happens. Now I see three pieces of principal equipment here, a furnace that we're standing by, hence the heat. There's another one with a round hole and a, a glow inside, I understand that's the glory hole. Yes, that's the glory hole. It's actually a modern day addition to the hot glass studio really. Traditionally they would have used the mouth of the furnace for reheating the glass or they simply would have worked it that fast that it wouldn't have needed to have been reheated at all. Nowadays we're putting a little bit more love and a little bit more attention into some of the works of art. It's necessary to reheat and work the glass for a longer time and that's the purpose of the glory hole really, is so that we can melt, reheat and make hot additions and work it a little bit longer, allowing us to sculpt more freely. And then for it to cool of course, which presumably is the purpose of the third item I there, which is the cooling layer, isn't it? The layer itself, yeah. It starts the cooling process at around around 440 degrees centigrade and it's a very slow, minimum of 12-hour cooling process before we can get the items out the following day. And what's the temperature of that furnace usually? The furnace is around about 1,050 degrees centigrade and the glory hole's a little bit hotter at around 1,200 degrees centigrade. Well, that's hot. Now, you are what is nowadays described as a studio glass artist. Can you tell me what that means and how your work compares with the uh, factory-based craftsmen that would once have worked at places like this or at Webb Corbett where we just come from? I guess traditionally guys would have left school and entered into the factory as on an apprenticeship scheme, starting at the lower end of the ladder and been the Lear boy. As the master glassmakers finished their products, you would have been trusted to take the finished items at 500 degrees and place them in the Lear. And that would be your job, essentially, until somebody left the factory and you moved up the ladder and slowly but surely you'd be given more and more skilled jobs until hopefully one day you became the, the gaffer in the chair to produce repetitively items to the same standard. Well, nowadays, the route that folk come into the industry is slightly different. I personally, trained in an art medium and was on my way to doing a degree in fine art painting or sculpture when I stumbled across glass as a medium with which I could express myself and that's where the majority of people are coming at glass now so it's a much more sort of creative introduction rather than a skills-based introduction that people get. You are now well established and I think it's fair to say internationally acclaimed as a glass artist but is the area of your expertise expanding? Is there sufficient room there for newcomers to come along and make a, a career of it? Yes, there is. The market itself is always evolving and it's always a matter of reinventing what you do. And some folk don't like that. You know, there's a little bit of security in knowing that you can continue along the same path to produce the same items and there's a little bit of security. I personally 
didn't get into the job to create thousands of the same item for the rest of my life. So I love the fact that it's always evolving and we always diversify. Bringing new approaches that the younger crowd bring to the glass actually livens up the whole creative process. Do you see this as the future of Starbridge Glass? Absolutely. And there's some amazing um, Starbridge Glass people coming onto the scene now that are going to pave the way for the country in years to come. And some amazing glass available, which uh, some of it, dare I say, happens to be yours, because you're uh, <laughs> actually exhibiting here at the festival. What does something like the International Festival of Glass signify to a contemporary professional such as yourself, and why do you support the festival? I support the festival really because the project as a whole draws everybody's attention to the fact that the industry is still alive, kicking, and there's still some sensational work being done by a variety of artists. And what we're seeing this year in particular, the show has been stolen by a whole heap of unheard of artists, and they've all been awarded sensational amounts of money, and it's brilliant because it just means that there is a future for this industry, and this whole festival itself draws a lot of attention from overseas, but it just keeps the interest alive in what we do. Now, you're a trustee of the British Glass Foundation, and I have to declare an interest here because <laughs> I am as well. We sit on the same committee. Uh, tell us what uh, that is in your own words and what's your role in it? What is BGF, from your perspective, trying to achieve as a professional glassmaker? It's taken me 20 years to get to where I am now. And in the first 12 years, it is so difficult to survive and continue doing what you do. Essentially, it's so expensive to train that a lot of people fall by the wayside and can't afford to. But there are a few things that keep folk going, one of which is that you might get your work into the permanent collection of a glass museum or an institution. And sometimes those little lines on your CV can mean more than actually the sales. You know, it's just a little pat on the back that gives you a little bit of credibility for you to move forward with. The British Glass Foundation has signed up to help preserve the glass heritage and ensure that the collection held here at Broadfield House doesn't get mothballed and it continues to be on show to the public, engaging with the public and making sure that folk don't forget how important it was to this area and how important it continues to be to this area. And so it's a cause that is well worth supporting. Alice has very kindly agreed to give us a brief demonstration of the techniques of glass making. Alistair, over to you, tell us what you're doing please. Well, I've got a, a gatherer of hot glass on the end of the iron here. It's at about 1000 degrees centigrade. Now all we use to shape a variety of pieces with is folded newspaper in the palm of my hands. So it's just been soaked in water and it's a matter of rolling the iron up and down the bench a couple of times whilst holding the newspaper in the palm of my hands and slowly but surely using the palm of my hand to shape the profile of the glass. So the, uh, the glass making tools themselves haven't really changed that much. From uh, shears that just look like large scissors to jacks and a variety of other things, the tools are pretty basic themselves. And there we have it. He makes it look so easy and there is a perfectly formed piece of glass. Delightful. Alistair Malcolm, resident glass artist at Broadfield House Glass Museum. Thank you very much indeed. You're welcome.
And there we have it, clear and compelling evidence from our contributors set against the backdrop of an international festival celebrating glass that although things may have changed somewhat in the last few decades, the Starbridge glass industry still very much has a bright and positive future. And as always, if you wish to obtain both current and back issues of our History West Midlands magazine, watch the accompanying presentations, subscribe to our audio resources or simply contact us. You can do it all by going through the History West Midlands website and following the relevant links. Join me next time for more fascinating insights into the black country. Until then, enjoy your history and thank you for listening. <laughs>